Hey guys, Lucas here. Before you get into your super fun episode of Elwood City Limits, I just want to thank everyone for nominating us for the Best of Halifax Award, but the battle's not over yet. We still want to get into the top three because it's a big deal for us. Uh, uh, the podcast gets a lot of notoriety from it. We get a fun plaque, and we even get invited to a cool party. So if you want all of those fun things for us here at ECL, just go to bestofhalifax.com, and you scroll down to News and Media, and in the Best Podcast section, vote for Elwood City Limits. Thank you. I was going to say, you know, we were recording this on August 7th, but do you know what day of the month that this will be going up? Thank you for bringing this up. It's uh, it happens to be the ninth. Ooh! Now a lot of people they make a big deal about Friday the thirteenth, but uh, little do they know that uh, it's you know if your month starts with A and uh, it's it's the ninth of that month, you know watch out for uh, call your fire marshal because bad things are in store. That's not a threat, by the way. That's just it's superstition. A ninth. You got to be really careful of those ones. Thank you for bringing that up. I like I literally realized that at work today, and I was like, "Oh, I better try and remember that," and I didn't. So thankfully, one of us did. That's right. It is. Uh, I want to say this is a long-awaited uh, episode of Elwood City Limits and a long-awaited episode of Arthur that y'all have been hoping for us to cover here on the podcast, the two-time Coast-nominated. Podcast. I was just gonna say, lots has happened in two weeks, including all of all you fine people's hard-earned efforts out there has paid off. Uh, And by paid off, I mean benefited us in that we are once again nominated for the best of Halifax awards. So thank you, everyone. The battle's only half over though, because now we need you to head over to bestofhalifax.ca, scroll down to news and media, and vote for us. Um. Yeah. Please, please and thank you. Yeah, thanks everybody. This is uh once again it's an honor to be nominated, but we do want to give it our best try and our best try includes, well, listeners like you. You do a lot for us already and you've been very patient to wait for us for the past 2 weeks. Uh I will say that uh I'm actually recording this fittingly enough an Arthur episode recorded at my mother's place. Uh, because it's uh, the closest place that has uh, internet, and because I still don't. We're going on a week and a half. I still don't have it. I might, might have it tonight, but we'll have to wait and see. I I feel you. There's there's few things as frustrating as sort of getting your internet set up. Uh, did you tell your mom why you were over? Were you like, yeah, I got to record my adult cartoon show where me and my friend talk on the internet about... Our cartoons. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, she knows about the podcast. She's heck yeah. She, she's happy to have a famous podcaster in her right. uh, in That's her right. midst. A a uh, best of Halifax nominated. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh, you know we we try and you know keep keep it down low in the family keeps us humble. Um, and we also want to say a thank you to um, can we call them. Can we call them friends of the pod now? Friends um, of the pod? I suppose I got a picture with them, so 
I don't. I'm not sure how you get friend of the pod status, but yeah, that's what. We, so we were both up in New Brunswick this past uh, weekend. Um, unbeknownst to us, we were also both like in Sackville, New Brunswick. I think we were uh, in Sackville at different times, though. Like yes, I, yes. I was, just, I was just there to stop by for lunch while we were leaving New Brunswick. So I don't know if there was too much crossover, but yeah, we were both in that province. Yeah, because I was in Sackville uh, this weekend at a music festival at Sappy Fest, and mm. one of the performers at said Sappy Fest was uh, one of. I would say, speaking for both you and I, Will, one of our favorite podcasts, which is Dog Island, another uh, Best of Halifax alumnus, Mm -hmm. uh, last year's bronze winner, and they were so kind as to give us a shout-out at the end of uh, uh, their live show, which was in their their latest episode, which I would highly recommend, by the way. It's a really funny episode about they count down the top ten worst statues in all of Canada. Um it was a good list. It was a good listen this morning. I think I heard you a couple times in the recording too. It was a pretty when, intimate space. Yeah, yeah. It was a really small bar, um, but it was it was really cool to see them. And yeah, I, I'm with them. That the Oxford blueberry statue is in fact creepy. It <laughs> it, it does have sideways goat eyes. Uh, yeah. So check out their latest episode. And uh, thanks again to to those guys. They've uh, always been pretty kind to us. And I I mean I don't think it matters that much to them, but I think that they were. Uh, robbed in terms of nominations this year, uh, especially considering some of the other ones that got in there. But, uh, you know, you know, just that's my opinion. That's just my opinion. Uh, Yeah, so we've got ourselves a task here as we are uh, looking to wrap up Season 7. I also want to uh, just quickly go over this. Uh, Arthur keeps on winning. Uh, this week, or was it, no, it was la, uh, no, let's just go with this week. Uh, this week, Arthur, the TV show, was the winner of the Television Critics Association's Outstanding Achievement in Youth Programming. Oh, wow. And I believe that was, um, maybe not completely motivated by, but I imagine that the, uh, the Mr. Ratburn, uh, episode was a big, uh, onus in in getting them that award. There's a picture that we retweeted on uh, at ECL Podcast on Twitter. It's uh, Mark Brown accepting uh, the award am- along with uh, a couple of other people who work on Arthur. So congratulations to everybody. That's a, it's a great award to add to the roster some 20, 20 plus years after the show has uh, begun airing. Not, not too many emails actually. So we're going to be getting down to this episode uh, pretty soon. We actually have an email here at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com from one of our patrons. And by Friday, I, he's going to be a birthday boy. Uh, Ooh. Jo- that would be Mr. John Dulong, close friend of mine and a uh, uh, friend of Lucas's as well. Yes, happy birthday to one John DeLong. John says, hi, fellas. I was listening to last week's episode, and the Marina Prunella story made me think of a guy I grew up with, Nick. Nick had muscular dystrophy and as a result was in a wheelchair from age seven or so until he passed away from his illness a couple of years ago. I'm sorry to hear that, John. Prunella reminded me of myself at about six trying to push Nick's wheelchair. I thought I was helping, but he didn't need my help at all. This was a valuable lesson for me at the time and one that I think that the episode dealt with well. Don't assume when it comes to meeting the needs of other people, but rather listen to them. They'll tell you what's up. As an aside, the soccer ball with an audit- with an auditory indicator totally exists, but the ones I've seen had Bella in them rather than a beeper. I don't know what the B-E-L-A. I don't know what that is. Maybe maybe he meant to say a bell. Yes, perhaps. Uh, it could have been like an autocorrect thing. 
Finally, I've been thinking about this uh, forever. Um, just want to make sure I'm reading this right. Bed, weed, behead, ECL edition. Oh, bed. Oh, excuse. I think this is another. Um, this is another uh, auto auto correct thing. John Dulong getting his birthday started off early. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe having a couple of pops before writing these emails. Woo! Uh, so he's talking about date, Mary dump. Elwood City Limits. Well, uh, there's, there's uh, only two of us, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he's talking about for Arthur. So, oh. oh, I was like, for Elwood City Limits, I, I uh, do we have to add one of the revolving door guests? Uh, so here, so here's um, here's John's. Uh, I, I if I'm reading this correctly, I think he would date Rubella. Okay. Mary Muffy. And dump the teacher who gets the kids to look at a cloud for homework. Are these our only three options? No, I mean you could pick anybody from Arthur. Oh gosh, why did he pick those three? I don't know. That's those kinda... are like our least. Those are like quite literally probably our three least favorite characters. <laughs> Looking forward to your answers. There totally is a right one, and I'll let you know if you get it right. Cheers, John. Maybe that was just an example. Maybe we shouldn't. Uh... Uh, well, I was wondering, is he trying to make it extra hard mode? Because I would probably marry Muffy so I could live that lavish lifestyle, baby. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking that. I think that's probably part of the decision. What was the other one? Date and and dump. Date and dump. I would uh, dump Rubella, get her out of my life, <laughs> and I would go on a date with the spacey teacher because that'd be fun for an evening. Just looking at clouds. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so if we're going with these three. Let me see. I think I think marrying Muffy's the way to go. Like, oh uh, yeah, oh yeah, marrying Muffy is absolutely the way to go. Um, I'm tempted to go with I'm tempted to go with John and saying dating Rubella and dumping the teacher. But honestly, I might just date the teacher and dump Rubella. I don't know. I want to. You I wanna, really, wanna... you really. It's you know, time has healed all wounds. You really hated that teacher. I remember. I bet I did. But that was. Literally three years ago. By the way, uh, we're coming up on our third our third anniversary, and we've got some things in the pipeline that I think we're going to get to later in the episode to help everybody celebrate along with us. But you're right. That was a long time ago. I bet you that's true, though. I, be- I bet you I was upset. I buy it. All right, John, thank you very much. Um, is there any more business to attend to before we uh, get going here? Uh, I don't, I think it's, I think, you know, everybody's been kind of taking two weeks off, the, the emailers, me and you, it's, it's vacation time, baby. Uh, I think it's time to dive right back in. All right. But of course we couldn't do that if we weren't sponsored by our lovely patrons, including Aaron DeFilippo, Caitlin Harrington, Chandler LaFave Bowden, Christine Wong, Christopher Ifill, Sierra S, Crescent Fresh. Dan, Mike, Dawson, Silva, Emily K, Froppy, Ian Collis, Jake Bailey, Joe Sue, John DeLong, the birthday boy himself, John Griswold, Kat, Kaylin Krogull, Kevin Noon, Leanne S, Light Relentless, Macy Ball, Riley Stevens, Ross Ward, Shayna Bennett, Stella, Teresa, and William. Thanks, everybody. You make this all possible, and thank you once again for your patience. It was uh, hurting me just as much to not 
record and put out an episode as it was for you not to hear it. So we're uh, we're uh, pulling off that Band-Aid right now as we get into April 9th. So this one is another, it's another double episode. So there there actually is a break in it. I was, I'm always kind of surprised when they do the double episodes and I figured they'll just go for like super long, but they usually do have a break in the middle. This one's break. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to it, but it's it's a fairly dramatic one at that. Yeah, it's a real, it's like, it's an honest to God cliffhanger. We've had two of them in this season so far. So they're getting a little, they're getting a little wild with this, but well, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get to it. So uh, pretty much the episode starts off with it's um, we get this kind of narrative device where it's like Sue Ellen writing in a diary about what she remembers about April 9th. And then we kind of don't like we just kind of do that at the very beginning and very end. It's it's a bookend. So we kind of don't hear from her very much anymore. Uh, we also get a look here into the chaotic life of the Reed family in the morning. Uh, which I always appreciate. We've gotten a couple of these so far where it's like, eh, they're just like a regular family going about their day. Dad's got the five o'clock shadow and he's like uh, got a catering gig that he forgot about. That's right. At Arthur's school, he's like catering breakfast there. Um, and uh, everybody's running around. Uh, this is where I realized like through this intro, there's kind of multiple vignettes. We kind of check in with everybody. It's a true, there's a, there's a largeness to this episode. That's not present in a lot of other ones, both in its length. And also it's, I, I feel like we haven't had a big ensemble episode in a while, especially usually the ensemble episodes are kind of light on plot yeah. in that they're like, let's just see all these vignettes with all these different characters where it's like uh, uh, the classic one is when they try to come up with their own holiday and it's just like, okay, here's everybody's idea. But this is like, well, not to get, something, something's a brewing and let's see how this all affects everyone. So uh, we started Mr. Ratburn's class here. Uh, they had not particularly impressive uh, results of a spelling test. And all of a sudden, uh, well, actually, Mr. Ratburn smells the smoke before the fire alarm goes off. Oh, and- yeah. Uh, speaking of fire alarms, so it's funny that we were watching this episode today because there was a fire alarm at my work today. Oh, <laughs> so, oh. Art imitates life or Arthur imitates life or life imitates Arthur. I'm not where- sure which, but. Okay, okay. So um, of the four possible things that could happen to you in a fire, as told to, by, uh, to us by this episode, uh, did you see the fire and uh, were traumatized? Was your dad in the fire? Was your journal destroyed in the fire? Or did you miss it? So I uh, missed it. Well, oh. first of all, I don't think there actually was a fire. Uh, okay. It That's, was, good. That's good. And it was also, it was technically at my work, but my work has multiple buildings and it was not in the one I was working in. I just happened to be walking uh past the building that uh, had been evacuated on the quad and I could hear the fire alarm, but I think there was just like a spill or something. It wasn't a, uh, uh, I don't think there was an actual fire. And so I don't think any journals were hurt to my knowledge. No dads in danger. Um, You know, no, no janitors with a broken ACL out for the season. Uh, None of that. Okay. Well, that's good. Cause I mean, all of these in their way and we'll get to it is, uh, uh, pretty traumatizing. So yeah, Mr. Ratburn smells smoke, and then all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. We have actually we actually have two fire alarms here. So it seems like in the classes they have the classic bell one, but then they also have a different like 
a real like uh, uh, it sounds like a an alarm from Area 51 or something. <laughs> the, the, the kid the kids are Naruto running at it as we speak. Uh, set the set the alarm off. Uh so they're on their way out and we Buster yes. of course by the way in his vignette is sleeping through. So we everybody has a, a, a everybody's day we see you know like you said, Arthur's morning, Swellen writing in her diary. We get a little vignette of Binky, um, and also Buster is fast asleep, so he's not even at the school. Yeah, so let's, I mean, eventually the episode, we have four kind of through lines that we follow, and you mentioned them as much, as much, but I'll just uh, detail them here because we get a glimpse into how each of them starts. Um, the thing that leads us from the cold open into the episode past the title card is that Binky himself sees the fire and uh, Mr. Morris getting hurt because of it. And that really frightens him. It, it traumatizes him to see that um, Arthur's dad, as you mentioned before, is catering at the school and is still trapped inside when Arthur and his classmates get out. So it really scares Arthur. Thankfully they do get him out. He's okay. Um, but it is a little scary, a little tense there for a second. Sue Ellen, uh, starts this episode by mentioning that her journal has like a postcard from a pen pal that she has in was it oh hang on, oh hang on it's it's just about to uh, it, it had a llama on it it was from Bolivia uh, and she accidentally left she didn't accidentally but she left her backpack in the classroom and then the firefighters bring it out and like soak it with water and her journal with all of her precious memories and mementos gets destroyed. That's right, like the time she visited Bolivia. Yes. And finally, as you mentioned, Buster uh, actually gets there after the firefighters have come, and he's like, oh, man, the most exciting thing that's ever happened, and I missed it. Maybe this, maybe this is a good time to talk about it. The entire kind of idea of this episode, and I couldn't really find anything concrete on this, but the I think the idea, the, the accepted interpretation of this episode is that this is a way to show how people deal with trauma in different ways, specifically as a response to 9-11, which would have happened uh, a, a year before, uh, a year, excuse me, before this episode came out, roughly a year. Interesting. I, you know, I did now that you're saying that after watching the episode, it actually makes perfect sense. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. something that was in my mind because, you know, we're so far removed from that context, but you know, in two th- in the spring of two thousand two, nine eleven was such a, a a sort of a nationally, even internationally traumatic event that you know the, the parents would be having these kind of conversations with their kids all the time in terms of you know some kind of disastrous situation like this. Uh, and, and how different families and different situations relate to that trauma. So I, again, us being so far removed from that, I didn't really have that in my mind while watching this. But this kind of imagery is actually fairly evocative of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's evocative without necessarily directly revisiting those events or you know, um, reengaging with that past trauma directly. You know, it's not like they witness a terrorist attack or something like that. But it's enough where in the, you know, relatively low stakes world of Arthur, it feels a bit more high stakes, especially I feel like Arthur's dad being in there is a little harrowing, uh, even if it is not for too, too long. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the idea behind this. And that's what we explore 
throughout the rest of the episode, um, which I found which I found very interesting and still do. Uh, and so the kids are kind of commiserating after the um, after the fire over at the treehouse, and they're going to have to go to school at Mighty Mountain until the school is uh, brought back to shape. Which I, I I it's funny this never actually comes up, but it would be interesting to I I, I it's already a two parter episode anyway, so I'm not sure how much there's no real time to spare. But after all of the rivalry with Mighty Mountain, the kids really accept them with open arms. There's not really a, a any sort of situation where they kind of butt heads or anything like that. Yeah, I mean it's pretty friendly, all things considered. Um, it's, they're just like, oh, but Mighty Mountain beat us in everything. Like, that's, that sort of approach to it. But, yeah, you're right. Which, which is not true, by the way. Which yeah. Is, the show has already established, they actually beat Mighty Mountain in everything. Maybe that's why they're so nice. They beat them into submission. Yeah. Through yeah. athletics. Um, but yeah, so everyone's still kind of feeling the effects of the, uh, fire. Uh, Arthur's really upset because his dad, uh, had to be rescued by the firefighters. Um, Sue Ellen is still really distraught over her journal being destroyed and all of her memories. Um, and Binky's just sort of... Well, Binky's telling tall tales. So Binky's telling the kids at the treehouse how he saw the flames and he wasn't scared at all. Yeah, he's more... Yeah, he's more uh, just gung-ho about the fact that it didn't scare him. Uh, whereas later on, there's a different character who's telling tall tales. But he's very much not letting on, although you can tell... Uh, when they kind of, when Buster says like, oh, I would think that would be scary with, you know, seeing the flames and everything. He's like, I'm fine. I'm, I said, I'm not scared and I'm not. So stop talking about it. And you can tell that he's rattled in, in a way that we'll see later. And he, um, steals Buster's ice cream cone and Buster says, that's weird. He usually only steals the top scoop. And I'm like, with what? His bare hand? (laughs) Yeah, Biggie's doing like that TikTok challenge where you grab the ice cream from the wrong end when the Dairy Queen employee hands it to you. That's a that's a is that a thing? Is that real? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 You go through the drive-through and then you just make a little claw and grab the ice cream from the top and then drive away. And waste and waste an ice cream cone? Well, I suppose you could eat it afterwards. You just got to be quick. But but if you grab if if you grab a DQ soft serve by the ice cream, it's just going to fall. It doesn't it doesn't come off. No, the bottom usually sticks on, so they immediately turn it upside down and then bite into the wrong end. Uh, I kind of need to see this to believe it. I mean, I, I, I just I just feel like if you gripped into the ice cream and turned it upside down, like you would lose the whole thing. It's a pretty swift process because they kind of kind of make out like a bandit, right? Uh, they don't really give the DQ employee time to even consider what's going on. Um, so it's all kind of one motion. Hmm. I'm gonna have to. Re- I'm gonna have to review this. Uh, let's con- let's continue on here. We actually see a bit more into how Binky's feeling when he goes back home to watch TV. When he's channel surfing here, by the way, they stop by this guy in a mic on a microphone in front of a brick wall, like a Showtime at the Apollo type show. I want. Yeah, he looks. He looks like Patrice. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I would... <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, is this an authorized version of Patrice? Uh, I would love. I would love to see what Showtime at the Arthur Apollo is like. I wish they would have stayed on it, but um, 
He ends up. Do you know what? The, yeah. th- there's a, there's another channel he passes by where it's like a guy in his room and like a train is coming towards his door. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a reference to something, but I couldn't remember. I just feel like I've seen that imagery before. But do you, do you know what that might be referring to? I'm not. I'm not certain actually. Uh, so your guess is as good as mine. Huh. Uh, so Binky ends up watching an episode of Bionic Bunny. And it's where Bionic Bunny is dealing with the villain. Is it Hothead? I think think it's Hothead. Hothead and the kitty's name is Fireball. Fireball. How many of Bionic Bunny's enemies are children? Because there's... (laughs) That is a running theme. I never even thought about that. There's Hothead. There's Kodo from the Crab Nebula, which disguises itself as a child. There's um, uh, uh, Elias Howe, who is a child as well. It just seems wasn't like... the uh, the 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 Iceman standee the uh, uh, he fought like a tiny because that guy was that guy was either very short or also a child. Who, Mister Melt? Mister Melt, yeah, Mister Melt was like child size. That was that was a terrific three villain, but he was child size. I'll give you that. Uh, um, yeah, I just I just don't know why all of Bionic Bunny's rogues gallery is children or like so... people who look like children. This character, actually, uh, Hothead reminds me of an anime that's airing right now called Fire Force, which is I really like. That's a, like a show-in anime where it stars, it's instead of like a team of superheroes like My Hero Academia or ninjas like Naruto or pirates like One Piece, the gimmick with this one is that it's a, it's a show-in squad of, of, of uh, firefighters. And uh, p- people in the, in, across the globe are struck with uh, a... D- just kind of a syndrome that makes people suddenly combust and turn to like a flame zombie. Okay. And so the firefighters have to uh, extinguish the people to save them. Uh, uh, and anyway, um, the way they could bust is very similar to the transformation hothead goes, uh, uh, undertakes when they, they show bionic bunny, their true form. Also, I forgot about this, but like, I love how they just kind of make bionic bunny sound like a doofus. Like he's just like, I, uh, like the he's got a very performative way of speaking where it's like that's like the name of the cat that I do you know what I'm oh, talking about ho, ho, ho. that's like the name of a cat that an enemy of mine used yeah it, it, it it's it's this it's a very similar voice to uh to Zelda's dad from the CDI games <laughs> yeah 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 exactly this is a piece like this is what all true warriors should strive for enough my ship sails in the morning yeah that kind that kind of stuff uh yeah i i I, I kind of liked it at first. I, I find Bionic Bunny now kind of annoying, especially when it's like Mr. Ratburn's voice, Arthur Holden, just doing that. Uh, not annoying, but it's just like it, it does it does make him seem like a bit more of a doofus with the uh, moments like these. We also see um, <laughs> the next day on the playground, uh, we see that three bullies at Mighty Mountain are doing the one j- the job of one Binky, and Binky uh, harasses them away because they're uh, picking on George because only Binky can pick on George. Fit check on these three Mighty Mountain Bullies, by the way. These guys might be the. Th- There's not a lot of throwaway characters of the week, so these guys might be it. Uh, all of some of them are just straight up dressed like 2019 hipsters. But yeah. with the tucked in tucked in polo and his haircut, uh, uh, some nice fits on the Mighty Mountain Bullies. Uh, and we see Muffy getting Sue Ellen a new journal, like a. Nice new one with, uh, you know, a, a pen and everything. But uh, Sue Ellen's not ready to accept a new one. But this is kind of going over Muffy's head a little bit. I will give Muffy some credit. 
She was trying to do a nice thing, but the whole thing of why the original journal mattered to her, uh, is, mattered to Sue Ellen, is kind of going over her head. Yeah, I mean, I kind of felt a little bit bad for Buffy here, because Buffy is actually just doing this out of the kindness of her heart, and she's like, oh, I'll make her feel better by buying her a new journal. But uh, Muffy thinks that Sue Ellen's uh, sad about the lost you know, sort of the damaged book itself rather than the lost memories. Because yeah. Muffy's really confused when uh, Sue Ellen doesn't want it. Because because our because our future wife, Muffy, is uh, uh, <laughs> oh, a, a heartless money grubber, it seems. No, she. it's funny because uh, a running gag in this episode is that Muffy keeps describing these fancy new journals she's giving to Sue Ellen. I don't think it's this one. I think the next one she gives her is like imitation suede. Yes. Uh, genuine imitation suede, you know, <laughs> as opposed to non-genuine imitation suede. <laughs> um, and Buster is, you, you mentioned earlier, Binky telling tall tales. That's literally Buster here, a real Brian Williams, saying that he was at the heart of the fire and that, you know, he saw the flames and he's like uh, entertaining everybody with his stories. But Arthur gets very mad at him because, as he mentions, you know, it was it wasn't a... You know, it wasn't a joke or it wasn't exciting. It was a, you know, it was a scary thing that happened. It's a re- it's a thing that really happened. And Arthur takes offense to him kind of making it up or making it sound more uh, exciting than it actually was. Yeah, it's at this point that you can kind of tell that Arthur's, uh, uh, like, like you said earlier, a little bit traumatized by uh, just the fact that his dad was almost hurt and he's, he's sort of dealing with that. And, and in this sense, he's lashing out at Buster because Buster's not taking the, the, the fire as seriously as everybody else. And we get a little bit from Buster's perspective here back at the house with Bitsy. And, uh, he, he kind of feels weird because he doesn't have the same sort of trauma or grief over the fire that everybody else does. But, uh, you know, his mom says that in in time he might have some kind of emotional reaction to it. You can never tell. I do like that this episode explores, you know, it's different forms of grief, including the guilt over a lack of grief about a thing, which I feel like isn't explored enough. Because I imagine that there were a lot of kids. I, I think maybe this was kind of my thing as well. You know, being a Canadian and, you know, just kind of hearing about what happened on 9-11 in my sixth grade class, it kind of didn't hit me. And I, you know, even when I found out later what was going on, like I didn't have an emotional response. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't, I kind of wasn't anything. And I imagine that kids, when they see the ways that other people, you know, how it affects them and they feel like, well, why don't I feel like that? And the the episode kind of saying, well, that's okay. You don't have to feel one way or another or even at all. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't considered that, but you're right. Now, I mean, eventually Buster does uh, kind of get a reason to feel some type of way about the event, but you're right. At this point, he's more so feeling just kind of left out uh, by being unaffected by the fire to the point where he's kind of wishing another event would he he's both looking forward because his mom tells him you know people feel different things at different times when something like this happens and he's like oh do you think i'll feel bad tomorrow uh uh, so he's almost looking forward to it but also kind of wishing that like another thing would happen so he could be uh, a part of it and not as alienated and and uh, and it's a and it's a pretty typical like kid emotion to feel left out even over something that's you know very much not good speaking of arthur um you know he's very protective of his dad and he has 
uh, I'll say a really harrowing nightmare for a kid's show. Uh, you know, his dad mentions that he's going to do a, uh, a catering gig at the aquarium the next day. And of course he's like, don't worry. It's the aquarium. Nothing's going to burn down there. But Arthur's dream is first of all, he's doing it for like, um, a convention of deep sea divers, which Arthur kind of dreams as just a gang of pirates that he's making food for. Yeah. Just like literal pirates. But while dad's catering in Arthur's dream, I remind you, he gets pulled underneath the water by an octopus. And the last shot that we see is like, Arthur is running to be like, somebody please help my dad. And the pirates are like, yeah, I won't do him any good. My lad. Like, He's got to do this for himself or whatever. The last shot we see is like dad's plate of food that he was carrying kind of drooped to the bottom of the of the tank that the octopus is in. The implication being that Arthur's dad drowned. <laughs> yeah, dad drowned. Dad not drowned? Since, yes! I was not like, ah! You beat me to it. I just realized not, it. Yeah, not since Ben drowned have has a uh, a children's thing been repurposed for such a a frightening. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it I, is a pretty as far as dream sequences go. Not since being digested by the giant clam have we really seen such a a horrifying turn of events to the point where when but Arthur's kind of recounting this tale later on, um, uh, Buster's like, I only have dreams. Uh, uh, like that, if I uh, eat pepperoni after eight, I dream the penguins are after me. Yeah, it's just, it's really kind of hardcore for a kid's show. It's like, well, dad died, like off screen granted, but that was it, you know. And I, I got to be honest, I did think it was weird. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier in the episode when Arthur got that like all black N64 cartridge from that uh, from that yard sale. And then the uh, save file said, Dad da- Dad drowned. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then he turned it on, and, like, Arthur's dad, his, like, torso is, like, upside down, and... Uh... I... I... <laughs> See, this is very funny, but I also know what you're talking about. <laughs> met, you, I wonder I wonder if people know... Do people still know about Ben Drought? You've met with a terrible dad, haven't you? Oh, my... Oh, my goodness gracious. That's... Dude, the first time I... Did you ever I, see... First time I read video? that... It, first time I read that, it scared the crap out of me. Gotta, gotta ever, be honest. Did you ever see the sequel video to Ben Drought where he's, like, making fun of it where, like... <laughs> Like, uh, uh, what are those the the big guys from Zelda called? Like the big rock guys? Oh, the Gorons. Yeah, there's just like Goron playing bongos, and it's like if you hear me before you'll see me. I got King Kong in the trunk. Like you think it's gonna be another? <laughs> you think it's another gonna be another like scary bed drowned video? But then like just a Goron shows up and that song starts playing. No, I haven't seen that. That sounds really funny. King Kong, King King Kong. <laughs> I'll just see if I can find that. I anyway, after seeing that, I've never been able to take Ben Drown seriously since. It was a time and place kind of thing. So I mean, going back to it, it's just like ah ha ha, yeah, that's funny and all this kind of stuff. It's just like eh, when you're in the mood for a creepy pasta and you're like in your early twenties and home <laughs> alone, it's just like yeah it's it's it can it can be effective depending on what type of person you are but it's it's not going to work on everybody speaking of time and place the time after school the place the hospital the person (laughs) in question it's mr morris living it up actually even though he's got a broken leg a torn acl mcl uh uh gonna be out for the season ruptured Uh, ruptured a disc that fragmented into his spinal column 
Yep, 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 all that jazz. He's chowing down on some truffles. Buster's swinging by to offer him some flowers from his mom, and they get to talking. Truffles, which Muffy gave him, by the way. So again, another thing that another nice thing that she did. Buster clusters. These are not. No, these are, you know, these are top of the line here, Mister. Uh, but he doesn't have much of a stu- he doesn't have much of a stomach for sugar, does Mister Morris? So Buster is asked by Bitsy earlier in the episode to go and visit him, and uh, ends up kind of striking up a conversation. Mister Morris shares his chocolates with him and finds out that he's a pretty cool dude. He like was a sh- he was like a show dog trainer. He lived in uh, uh, Mor- was it Morocco? Or he lived somewhere uh, foreign, and I don't remember where it was. He could speak Portuguese. He could speak Portuguese. That was it. Thank you. Uh, I I knew it was something like that. Yes, I know. Um, so so Buster is really excited about his the friendship he struck with Mister Morris, and Mister Morris I think was happy to have some company there in the hospital. We also see as Buster's relating this the next day at school. Uh, Muff, uh, Muffy has bought Sue Ellen another journal, and this one is personalized. It says property of Sue Ellen on it, and she gives her a pen as well. And Sue Ellen ends up somewhat reluctantly but graciously accepting the new journal as she tries to move on. And then we get our cliffhanger into the halfway point of the episode. It's just a shame that we had to see this person's sleeve we see a mystery you, hand pull. You know, you know, an Arthur episode is hitting different when you see a first-person hand do something shady. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we see a first-person hand again. Like I say, wish we hadn't seen the sleeve. It kind of takes the mystery away a little bit as it pulls the fire alarm, and everybody is shocked. And we had to break. And in fact, I know we, we even get a, a stay tuned, which I don't even remember seeing that before. No, you'd think you'd think that was hardly necessary since we're only halfway through this episode. But indeed, stay tuned, true believers. And now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids. This one's a little bit on the uh, rudimentary side. Once again, it's just about fire safety uh, for young kids as they're visited by firefighters. I mean, as always, some great 90s haircuts in here, uh, uh, both amongst the firefighters and amongst the children. Um, like, one guy's got the sideburns going. Uh, and we we do have some pretty enthusiastic kids as well. I, um, I asking, Oh, sorry. I, I, I wish they had brought back Firefighter Squat for this one. I forgot about Five Five Scott. Yeah, I guess we should comment on that. Is that I I I, I hate to criticize it for this because it's kind of a silly remark, and I think it's only because of the nature of the show and us watching every single episode of Arthur. But this episode, I feel like, would have it's it's a pretty impactful episode. Again, especially given the context of like what you said about the sort of nine eleven implications and stuff like that. But I feel like this episode would have been a tad more effective if we didn't already have a fire drill episode. Uh yeah, I guess so. I I th- again, I think it's like 
they wanted to do one thing, but you also couldn't go all the way in replicating it. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind of said. Well, uh, I think these episodes are about kind of very different things, right? Because this episode is more about again, like the trauma of the fire. Where I think the reason I bring this up during this award from us kids is this award from us kids is just very much about fire safety, and that's kind of what that other episode is more so about. Less about the more uh, 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 the deeper implications of the event, and and more so just on the actual like, okay, this is what you're supposed to do if a fire happens. Yeah, less less on the logistics exactly. And uh, they actually cr- end up creating a little piece of the Arthur website to uh, to go to for fire safety tips. Unfortunately, it is not up anymore. I will also say that one of the kids asks, uh, I loved the question of what happens if the fire station catches on fire? Yes. And the firefighters are like, uh, like they have to think about it for a second. Oh, yeah. I think one of the firefighters who also has a pretty strong accent is like, oh, geez, I got to think about that one. Always asking to be the stumping questions, and uh, yeah, that's 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 uh, pretty much it. Another kind of uh, you know, uh, not common. Uh, another another kind of paint. Uh, no, what am I trying to say here? It's just kind of just kind of another word from us kids. It was it was fine. There's nothing like other than some fits here and there, or like a funny line. That's that's about it. And before we move on with April 9th, uh, let's hear a word from us. And now a word from me, Lucas Mancini of Elwood City Limits. Don't forget to chat with your Elwood City Limits pals on social media with facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits or at ECL Podcast on Twitter. We also have a Tumblr, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com and an Instagram, at Elwood City Limits. If you want to send us a question, send us an email and get it read on the show at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. You can find the entire episode archive at elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com or on your favorite podcast service. If we aren't on your preferred podcast app, let us know, and we'll do our best to get on it. Thanks, as always, for supporting us here at Elwood City Limits. Now, back to the show. Okay, so like we said, uh, this we're into one episode, and uh, we're back with April 9th as the kids are kind of ushered outside uh, as the fire alarm has been pulled, which is, you know, everybody's kind of a bit on edge about it. And then Binky comes out of nowhere and uh, and thought it was really funny to see everybody run at the fire alarm, but he was also very impressed with how timely the firefighters were in getting there. And everybody kind of looks at him, and he's like, you didn't think that I pulled it, did you? And I'm like, this was this was one of the funniest moments in the episode because uh, there's just a very the way Binky like is talking here, and when he pulls out the paper out of his, he's like, huh, how interesting how the firefighters got here at exactly three and something minutes. Like he's making it, he's outing himself so much uh, that like the time, just the timing and the way he delivers his lines, and then the firefighters like, is this your knapsack, young man? I thought this was very funny. Yeah, and uh, he and he does kind of like the way he acts offended of just like what you you don't think I could have done that like he lays it on a bit thick. I thought that was a good touch, and then the firefighters find uh, his backpack by the fire alarm that was pulled. So uh, well, he uh, he did it to himself. He uh, snit he ended up snitching on himself. So Binky's in trouble. Um, 
and he has to read this this I thought was funny. It's like I'm I'm sure they still get kids to do this to some degree, but the idea of Binky writing out his apology and then reading it in the most insincere tone of voice I thought was actually pretty funny. Oh, and you know what? I lied. The uh uh Mighty Mountain Bullies are not the throwaway character of the week. The throwaway character of the week is the Mighty Mountain Principal who somehow looks just as hapless and sort of disheveled as Mr. Haney. We only see him for like a brief frame, but I was like, "Ooh, I want to hear more from that guy." Yeah, yeah, they meant. Yeah, it's like pr- uh, Principal Schmaney over here. It's like, yeah, it's basically his just his odd world counterpart. Um, so instead of punishing Binky in like a straightforward way, uh, and and of and of course, I I, found, I think this is worth noting, and because Mr. Haney like straight up asked him like, "So why did you pull the fire alarm?" Binky's just like. Oh, and I thought that was a pretty, a pretty genuine little kid way to react to something like this. Especially, it's like we know why he did it, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah, he hasn't cognitively put the pieces together. So, um, uh, uh, Mr. Haney uh, has Binky clean up garbage with Oliver Frensky. He's back. Very happy to see him. We haven't seen him in a minute now either. No, it's been far too long. We've seen like cameos here and there, but uh, this is the most involved he's been in an episode uh, for quite a long time. And so he he mentions to Binky that he was actually a volunteer firefighter at one point as well. And kind of just talking to him about like, yeah, I've seen I saw a fire before and it was pretty scary. And Binky's still very much in denial of just, you know, he's he saw the fire, but he wasn't scared. And <laughs> Oliver just like. Okay, whatever. And that will come to a head pretty soon here. Uh, We get more time with Buster and Mr. Morris, as Mr. Morris is uh, talking about a time in his life when he saw what he believed to be an alien sighting, a UFO sighting, I should say. And I was wondering if this was the UFO sighting from... From science? Uh, dep- well, no, no, not from science. Um, <laughs> from, uh, well, El- it depends on how old Mr. Morris is, but from Elwood City's history. If you remember in their play, sort of uh, uh, chronicling the history of Elwood City, one of the star uh, uh, moments in the play was the famous UFO sighting. And I wonder if this was the same one, right? I feel like that one was a bit more at like the turn of the century. This feels like it was like maybe 20 or 30 years ago. Hmm. Maybe I thought it was like the fifties, but and that still might be a little too early. But uh, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. You never know. That's actually good looking out. Uh, I, uh, we could certainly purport that that's what that's what's going on there. Um, and we. I also- mean, and I also just gonna, just gonna say this real quick. Uh, Mr. Morris was at a dog show. He was grooming dogs. He used to be a dog groomer. Um, talking about all these different breeds of dogs. Don't think about it too much. And moving on. It's dogs grooming dogs, Lucas. They're laughing at us. Like when earlier in the episode, Buster does say that Mr. Morris is a dog groomer. And I'm like, does that just mean he's a hairdresser? (laughs) Dude, that would be a terrific joke. Like, imagine if he is, instead of, like, you know, he's like, I was doing a dog show, but then all of a sudden it's, like, it's him in a hair salon just doing perms on dogs. These, are, This is what we get for even thinking about this. You know what I mean? I, I This is our punishment is to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he he and Buster, Mr. Morris and Buster are really hitting it off. 
Uh, I kinda... Oh, well, okay. I just, pa- I just, pa- I, I'm sorry. I'm still on this UFO sighting. I just paused the Dara grooming scene. Yes. And there is a poster in the background that says, uh, dog something champion 1966. 1960. So... I, I just, I just actually passed it myself. 25th annual dog show 1967. So around the mid sixties is when this is taking place. Hmm. I feel like I feel like the clothes and stuff from the Elwood City play was the fifties, but maybe the maybe the L the ECL heads will, will put two and two together for us. To maybe if, there's actually been two UFO sightings in Elwood City history. Um. So yeah, I I only kind of wish that we had we as the audience had a bit more of a relationship with Mister Morris. We've seen him in a couple of episodes, but I wouldn't say that he has like much of a character. I kind of wish that he was somebody, you know? I think that they try their best in this episode to kind of get us up to speed in that sense. I really, I think my favorite parts of this episode are the Buster and Mr. Morris stuff. I, uh, I, I think it's pretty good. I just, I feel like they wouldn't have had to cram so much development for Mr. Morris into an episode if it was somebody that Buster already knew. But I, but I, I don't dis, I don't disagree. I, I, in a way, like I think they do a fine job. I just feel like they could have really, uh, maybe gone a bit more emotional if it had been somebody that Buster knew that who had been uh, a part of this. You know what I mean? I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to Arthur, and he is pretending to be sick in order to try and get Dad to stay home from his catering job. And a rookie move here, calling in sick in your school clothes. You got to stay in your PJs, dude. <laughs> it's true. He has his backpack uh, on in everything. It's like, well, I was going to go to school, but uh, <laughs> hey, I'm sick. I can't go. Yeah, Ferris Bueller didn't even leave the bed. It's true, dude. Like- also, just kind of, he... Throw gives up the facade almost immediately when his dad's like uh, uh, explaining to him what he's going to be off doing for the day, and Arthur almost immediately breaks character with his worriedness of of oh you know I was worried you were going to be at another school, and he doesn't say it with this like sick accent. His mm-hmm. dad kind of sees through what's going on. So I liked this part here. It's it's a it's a bit of character depth for Dave Reed, which we don't get very much. He tells Arthur about a time in his childhood when Grandma Thora was in a minor car accident and it made him worried every time that she would go out somewhere that she wouldn't come back. So he had this game that he would play with himself where he would shoot crumpled up paper into a basket and if he made more shots than he missed, then Grandma Thora would come back okay. Except one day he forgot to do it and it turns out that she was just fine. And in and in the end, I think I, I think basically what he's saying is that, you know, it uh, not not to worry about him. He he says I'm the ones who's supposed to be worrying about you, which I feel like Dad's advice is okay for trying to keep anxiety under control in terms of like finding a bit of a coping mechanism. But I'm not sure how helpful I would find it personally if if I were Arthur, because it kind of ends up just being like, yeah, don't worry about me, nothing's gonna happen, and it's like, well. That's not exactly helpful, I think, if I were Arthur. Yeah, it's a little bit of that, and it's a little bit of the uncomfortable truth that it's like, there's not really anything you can do to prevent something like this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's better, instead of being anxious about things you can't control, it's better just to 
kind of accept that that's how things are. Yeah, and of course they're trying to put a positive spin on it. So I I do appreciate that. It's uh, it's it's just I, I think realistically it's not it, it's not something that would necessarily uh, cause an eight year old to worry less. Because I had this same anxiety myself many times when I was a kid, and uh, never thought of this uh, coping mechanism. Although I wish I did. That probably would have been helpful to a degree. Uh, also, the sushi plate that he's putting together looks quite scrumptious. Mm, I'd love to have some of Dave Reed's sushi. That sounds real good right about now. Um, we also get, we, we go back to Binky's story here, and this is where kind of his trauma comes to a head a little bit. Um, and I'm just trying to... F- oh, wait, wait. First, there's an 80s movie montage where they rebuild the school. Yes, they do. They paint like a mural. Yeah. Like a nice, like a, a nice little mural, which is one of the more heartwarming uh, moments in this episode. Is watching the gang all come together. It almost feels like the end of the episode in a in a way, mm-hmm. where this the gang's all kind of coming together and working together, and Mr. Rapper is leading the group, and they're all kind of repainting the school, and it's a nice moment. And then there's a big welcome back sign. It it, it I don't know. It makes you feel like it's a big deal. It's like oh, they're back at their old school. They don't have to go to Mighty Mountain anymore. Mm-hmm. Spearheaded by Sue Ellen, I I must add, who's kind of feeling a bit listless. Uh, upon with her with her new diary, um, yeah, Binky uh sees the place where he saw the flames, which was Principal Haney's office, and he runs away and and he's crying like this is he's that's right. Mister Haney is jumping on his yeah. new couch that was bought probably with the insurance money for the school, and he's like, "Ooh, this new couch is so springy." Uh, so Binky is kind of just running away from the school, and uh, Oliver Frensky shows up and uh. It's actually a pretty realistic treatment of uh, how a little kid would handle something like this, like, and really almost how anybody would. Like Binky is, it's so hard for him to articulate why he's afraid and like what's wrong, but he's just, you know, he's crying and he's trying to get his words out. But Oliver Frensky does understand. He felt uh, he felt incredibly scared the first time that he went. He saw a fire with his own eyes, but what helped was what they're doing right now, talking about it. And uh, Binky does feel a little better after being able to open up a bit about it. So he dis- uh, and he's able to join Oliver as he does the rounds on in uh, his uh, garbage truck. He asks if he can use the crusher, and uh, Oliver Fritzky goes, "Only if you join the union, Barnes." I loved that. I loved. I loved it, calling him Barnes. That's great. Uh, I will say Binky's trauma felt like it wrapped up a little quick, but it's also a 22 minute episode, so I'm not like upset at that or anything. It's fine. I, I, I had the note here because this is where we also wrap up Buster's involvement with Mr. Morris as uh, Mr. Morris is going to be moving away to New Mexico to live with his daughter because it's harder for him to get around and he needs someone to take care of him. And he's he even le- retiring. Yeah. He, yes, he's retiring. So this may be the last time we ever see Mr. Morris in the show. What did you catch? What he's he's got movers taking stuff out of his house, and he mentions records. Yeah, I looked this up, but I couldn't find exactly what it was that he was saying. It's I like Z- I wish I knew. I I tried googling it like just phonetically from what he says because it wasn't something I was familiar with, and I was like, is this real? Another one, another home, more homework for fans of the show, I suppose. Yeah, let us know if if you know what they're saying. Um, so yeah, Buster is, is sad that his new friend, Mr. Morris is leaving, but he, uh, he says that Buster can visit him anytime he wants. Um, 
there's also a part here before where Buster finds out that Mr. Morris is retiring where they're uh, having like a welcome back cake. And Buster wants to take an extra slice for Mr. Morris, but Mr. Ratburn gives him two pieces anyway to save him from coming up for seconds because he knows his students. <laughs> That's that was a fun little moment. I, mean, I like Mr. Ratburn as like a very side ancillary character. He, I, I feel like he's finally passed like the Mr. Feeny Rubicon of like the kids all like him now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, he's just kind of he's he's just Mr. Ratburn. Everybody kind of knows what to expect from him and he's cool. He's not he's not scary at all. And I believe uh I think it was I think it was Kelsey who sent us an email that he's not like a vampire anymore. Mm-hmm. So Buster's, you know, kind of sad that Mr. Morris is leaving, but Mr. Morris uh gives him a gift, which is Beatrice, his gigantic accordion. And so I <laughs> As soon as I saw this, I, I I wrote the note. What are the odds that Beatrice, much like DW's doll Clarissa, never shows up again? I I would say probably fairly high. Buster's already a tuba player by trade, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I again, I I'm a sucker for all of this Mr. Morris stuff. I I thought this was a really sweet moment in just Buster and Mr. Morris's friendship seemed, even though it was only really developed in this episode, fairly genuine. And the moment where Buster offers to take care of Mr. Morris so he doesn't have to move away, and Mr. Morris is like, yeah, I don't really want to leave Elwood City, but I need someone to take care of me. I thought that was very sweet, and especially mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. Morris's response of, that's very nice of you to offer, Buster, but I think my daughter's a little bit better suited for the job. I don't know. I was I was into all of this. I, I I mean I I feel like I should add even though I was a bit critical of it I uh, I do th- I do think that this storyline is pretty good and uh, I I guess it would probably if if it was someone who was closer to Buster then that might be like a little bit traumatic in and of itself to have this person moving away so I guess and and I know the other point of this is as Buster talks about with Arthur near the cap of the episode. Uh, that if the fire had never have happened, then he never would have become friends with Mr. Morris. That's right. Buster's finally sort of felt his, the impact of the fire in that now he has something to be upset about because he's, he's lamenting to Arthur that, you know, if this fire never happened, Mr. Morris would have never moved away. Um, but then Buster uh, Arthur points out that, well, you know, Buster, then you wouldn't have never have even met Mr. Morris, really. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of serendipitous in that sense. And that leads to a nice moment. They're communicating over Bionic Bunny walkie-talkies, which these things are like better than cell phones, man. The reception they get is amazing. Uh, and Buster uh, plays Clementine for Arthur over the over the uh, accordion. That's right, that- Arthur. Uh, this moment serves two purposes, right? Because Buster's playing Clementine, but it also shows that uh, Arthur's kind of gotten over the trauma with his dad because his dad he's been nervous about his dad coming home and his dad pulls up in the van and Buster's like, oh, you probably want to go say hi to him. But in, in, instead he decides, oh, you know what? Actually, I'll listen to you play Clementine. And I thought that was kind of a sweet moment as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of wrap up the episode here as Sue Ellen takes us out with like a final narration in her new journal. And that's where, and that's where I said, Oh, right. Sue Ellen was in this episode. Yeah. Sue Ellen's, uh, Sue Ellen's impact of the fire is probably the most low stakes, even though it would be really sad for your, like your travel diary, especially if you've been all over the world, like Sue Ellen has, and, mm. and she had it since grade one, like she had, uh, it would be sad, but it's definitely of all of between your dad almost dying uh, your new adult friend having to move away. 
and just like straight up PTSD, your diary getting destroyed is probably the lowest of all those stakes. Even though like when it happened, you could totally see like how that affected her. And it was pretty like traumatic in and of itself. Like Sue Ellen. Yeah. Like, she was the d- most outwardly upset. Yeah, really? So it was a, it was a kind of a lingering thing. And that's, that's kind of the end of it. She just kind of puts a ribbon on it of just like, it's a day that we'll never forget. And I'm very happy to have the family and friends that I have who helped me through it and that kind of stuff. So Lucas, in the end, uh, what do you make of April 9th? One of the most famous or infamous episodes of Arthur, the response to nine 11, such as it, such as it were. I, uh, so I like episodes that, especially that the fact that this episode's kind of capping off the season, um, there's very few episodes of Arthur that have this kind of larger than life, like big, almost season ender feel. We, we talked about Arthur's Christmas. There's that that season one kind of wrap up. Is it? Is it season one or it's one of the first three seasons that wraps up with the uh, that Christmas episode that we thought was so e- effective. The, uh, was that the New Year's episode? That or was... the New the New Year's episode? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's that New Year's episode. Uh, there's an episode we actually recently watched, which is the hundredth anniversary of Elwood City. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you could add this episode to that kind of uh, 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 those those three big ones. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that those kind of three episodes are in a class of their own. Not in the sense that they're better than any other episode, but they have more oomph. The, the, there's just like a, a bigger, more important feeling to them um, than other episodes. And so I think this episode's kind of special in that it also uh, uh, captures that kind of unique feeling. So I, I feel like there were a couple of ways for this episode in which I was kind of critical and I stand by what I said for the most part, other than the parts that I kind of contradicted in this episode. But I think what I appreciate most about this episode is that it was trying to do something that not many other television shows um, let alone kids' animated shows, were trying to do in processing a really, really difficult part of history, especially for kids to understand. And I think that in that sense, this episode is pretty successful in what it tries to do. I think it's also timeless in the sense of, Lucas, you didn't even, you didn't even know that that's what it was about. And I think that you don't need to know that. I think that it also works very effectively as a study of how kids process trauma or how kids can process trauma. I mean, Arthur's dad literally almost dies twice in this episode. How many episodes could you say that for? Yeah, that's that's real. Like we talked me- about stakes. Remember when we were like, "Is is Pal gonna die in this episode?" That was like the highest Arthur stakes ever. Yeah. I think this one now has that crown. But at least, yeah, you're you're right. Dad almost died once in real life and almost died once in the dream world. So, in fact, uh, I think he does die in the dream world. Yeah, he does. Like, if, if that's that's like a backdoor pilot for an Arthur Freddy Krueger spinoff right there, <laughs> a nightmare in Elwood City. Uh, so I think that it was pretty successful in the ways that it, it didn't. And of course, it's only twenty two minutes. It doesn't have time to like you know really investigate what grief and post traumatic stress and trauma is all about. But it really lets you know that there. The I think the message is that there are different ways that people process a traumatic event, and no one way is better or worse or 
more more or less valid than the other and i th- and even if that means not having any grief at all and i think that that's an important thing to be able to at least introduce to kids it's i think it's going to it takes a while for a young mind to understand that especially uh yeah it it just it just takes a long time for somebody so young to understand that but I think they did a good job in introducing that. And it's an entertaining episode. There's a lot of little asides here and there, like the Mr. Morris's story about the alien abduction and, uh, you know, the bionic bunny cartoon and all that kind of stuff. There's little things peppered throughout the episode that really make it memorable, aside from the from the fact that it's the 9-11 episode, quote-unquote. So I think that it's... I almost wish that this that we... Th- I thought that this was going to be in the next season, and I almost feel like it's a bit unfair to have two big two-parters in the same season. But uh, it's it, we're really lucky to be able to explore both this and Elwood City Turns 100 in the same kind of depth of time. So I think this one was uh, memorable for all the right reasons, I'd like to say. I, I, I totally agree. I have I, I I feel very positively about the episode. So, yeah. Well, just how positively, Lucas? Because we're done season seven, dude, and that you know what that means. We've done this six times before. It's going to be time for us to be wrapping up season seven, and that's what's going to be on the docket next week for Elwood City Limits is our season seven recap. That's right. Just like you. Have to pick between your favorite Halifax podcasts. We have to pick between our favorite episodes of season seven, and it's not going to be easy. I was, uh, you know, drafting a rough a, a rough draft of my list, and uh, it's tough. There might be a couple of ties in there. Like we, uh, we'll we'll save the full season seven thoughts for that episode, but uh, it wasn't easy narrowing down the list. And that, yeah. So next week, Lucas and I are going to be coming at you with our thoughts on season seven as a whole and our top five episodes as we look ahead to season eight. Now, I'm not going to reveal everything about the rest of our August lineup, but we do have a couple of special things coming up in the pipeline. And if you're a a patron over at patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits, you know exactly what's coming in August and in time for our third year anniversary. Some exciting stuff. I'm really uh, going to be happy to... Let you guys have that for our three years, and we've also got another special episode coming up before we start off Season 8. That's right. Lots of stuff to be excited about in the dog days of summer. Um, You know, Hot Boy Summer continues here with Elwood City Limits. And, uh, well, it's going to be a while, Lucas, before you and I have a traditional uh, ECL episode again. But when we come back, the first episode of Season 8 is going to be Dear Adil and Bitsy's Breakup. Whoa, oh my goodness. Yeah. We're starting off hot, dude. We're like we're changing the lore. We're changing the game here. It's going to be uh it's going to be wild. Well, Lucas, it's been a fun a fun time getting through season 7 with you and I really look forward to hearing what your thoughts are going to be uh on the season next week. Uh I, I, I can't wait. I, I love I love our, our, our season ender episodes and and yeah, I'm excited for the surprise that we have for the the patron patreon subscribers, our big three year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we're gonna have to talk about that once we stop the recording. So let's stop right there. My name's Will Young. Thank you everybody for your patience. 
and hoping to talk to you again soon. And for Lucas Mancini. They're all true accounts told to me by actual witnesses. We'll see you next time.